This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault, and today's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. So, if you had listened recently to our Best Picture Countdowns from 2008 to 2017, Parts 1 and Part 2, you would know that we are now at the end of our Best Picture Decade by Decade rankings. This has been going on way back to Episode 1, so if you want to... Go start at the beginning, and you can find all those great episodes along the way where every once in a while we would do a decade, starting from the first decade of 1927 to 1936, I believe is how it worked, uh, if my math is correct, for 10 years. (laughs) And uh, we would watch the 10 movies at the time, rank them from 1 through 10, and discuss all of them. Originally, this started with my uh, original co-host, uh, Andreas Babiolakis, and then later on after he departed the show, uh, Stephanie Pryor ended up picking up the mantle and finishing the rest of the way, probably a little over half of the way. And so joining me today is Stephanie Pryor. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, hey, I'm ready to get into this. So... What this episode is going to be is we've already done all of the Best Picture winners from 1 through 90, and we talked about them all, and this is basically what is the best and worst out of all the Best Picture winners. So this is just more of a fun little episode to kind of talk about our favorites, our least favorites, what we liked about it. We sort of talked about our our general thoughts of of doing this whole experiment the last episode, but uh, in case anyone missed that, uh, I personally had a lot of fun you know, visiting what is quote unquote important cinema, especially since you consider it very much is what was the industry like that year. Maybe not necessarily what is going to be the best movie thought of 50 years later. Otherwise, Citizen Kane would have won best picture, but it did not. So we can only compare these movies against themselves. We can't say, oh, you know, I like this movie, but I can't like it that much because it lost because it beat something else out. So we're really just focusing on what won. And the other thing is, we're only going up to the 90th Best Picture winner, not the 91st and 92nd, which was Green Book and Parasite. So if you're wondering why those answers are going to be absent from us, that is the reason why. I'm going to wait until there's uh, five, so in three more years, then we'll do a, a sort of mini ranking where we're doing five at a time, and basically every five years, as long as this show goes on, I'll continue doing that. Uh, so Stephanie, yeah. Any any first thoughts before we kind of dive into this? What was sort of your your memory of of going down memory lane of looking at all the different best pictures and try to figure out which ones were your favorites and least favorites? Yeah, I mean, looking through the list and compiling my my um, favorites and least favorites and any notable ones, I my memory was jogged on how many that I actually did like thoroughly enjoy. Maybe not at this at the like extension of what I consider today's best picture winners to be but still like finding some real gems but also some real not gems yeah some clunkers along the way yeah uh how many of the best pictures had you seen because i know you you didn't start out originally watching them with me you kind of joined in a bit of the way through sort Mm -hmm. of picking and choosing how many overall of the i guess 92 we'll say have you seen yeah so i've actually seen 82 of the 92 which is surprising i actually thought that there was more that i missed from those early decades but it seemed that there was just like one or two for maybe the first three decades that i've missed um 
you know, collectively adding up to about 10 that I missed. So I'm, I'm quite surprised and happy with how many I've seen. Yeah, that's actually really good. And yeah. I think I think that kind of gives you, you know, enough of an authority to be able to say this was good, this was not good without being like, oh, I missed those 10. Yeah. Like, are there any bigger ones you think you missed? Or are you kind of you're like, I have a good idea of what's good and what wasn't good? I mean, in my humble opinion, I have a good idea of what's good and what's not good. I don't think that I missed any, you know, giant glaring um, you must see these like blind spots. Um, for the most part, they were just ones that either I didn't have very much interest in or know anything about. So just in general, wasn't a popular enough one for my limited movie knowledge to be like, oh yeah, I have to see that. So I'm pretty happy with what I've seen. All right. Well, that's good. Well, then let's, I guess, jump right into it. We've got a few different categories. I'll sort of explain it all during the way. Uh, but you know, what? we'll start with uh, what's the big one. What are the top five most deserving best picture winners? So these are the ones that basically we have decided on our own. We've got a completely separate list. We did not share it beforehand as far as like coordinating. Oh, this is the number one. This is the number two and argue about it. These are just our own personal lists. So all hatred uh, can be directed towards Stephanie as far as what oh, her list is. Excuse me. And you yourself. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll see. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll just sort of trade off one by one. You know, this isn't us doing a review. We'll, we'll maybe say a couple words about what we either liked or didn't like about these movies, but we're not necessarily going to rehash uh, what the plot is or why it's the best. But I'll start off. My number one all-time best picture winner is The Apartment, Billy Wilder's movie starring uh, Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thought you were avoiding me. What gave you that idea? In the last six weeks, you've only been in my elevator once, Mm. and you didn't take off your hat. Well, as a matter of fact, I was rather hurt that night you stood me up. I don't blame you. It was unforgivable. I forgive you. Well, you shouldn't. You couldn't help yourself. I mean, when you're having a drink with one man, you can't suddenly walk out on him because you're having another date with another man. You did the only decent thing. I wouldn't be too sure. Just because I wear a uniform, that doesn't make me a girl scout. It's funny. It's sad. It's very sad at points. It makes you feel good. And in the end, you know, it's about two people that are just right for each other. And they finally... you both see it and it's just everything you want from a movie it just has all the highs all the the lows of an emotional drama you can hope for and it's just gorgeously shot especially with some really inventive office shots you know mm-hmm. when they're the entire rows of desks yeah. and everyone's cl- clacking away on their typewriters oh it just got so much greatness to it yeah this is a great film i'm so glad you picked it because it was definitely on like my top 10 so i'm glad it's here What's your number one? Is your list in any particular order or what? You know, it's not, but I'll try and reshuffle here just for the sake of this. I'm going to say that uh, my number one most deserving film for Best Picture would probably be Schindler's List from 1993. I think it's such a heavy, strong subject matter that it could have gone, you know, so many different directions and so many different ways and could have been super super hard to watch and it is still too but i think it was handled so delicately and all the performances were just amazing and just the cinematography the black and white everything you know was there for a reason and had its own purpose and i really appreciated it so i think it's super deserving i think it's funny that uh steven spielberg never went to college or at least he didn't graduate and so he finally went back i think in like the mid 90s uh, to, I want to say NYU or something like that. And he had to submit a thesis film. So he used Schindler's list as his <laughs> thesis film. So, you know, of course he graduated. <laughs> 
with honors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my credentials for this film is it won best frickin' picture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number two movie is Moonlight. This was a, a recent winner that I'm sure most people have seen and, and know about Barry Jenkins' film. I just love this, this sort of triptych of the three different stories, the fact that the three cast, me- the, the three act, the three sets of actors, they don't necessarily look identical to each other but they share the same dna and essence that each part of the story just builds upon it and the fact that jenkins was able to do it with such a limited budget but have such a creative flourish on it just absolutely stunning and his use of light and color is so beautiful and if you're not like a a hopeful weeping mess by the very (laughs) end tender moments you're dead inside you have no soul yeah, Moonlight, such a beautiful film and such a strong, supportive cast, too. Like, just such a well-rounded cast. Super amazing. Mm-hmm. Good pick. Okay, um, my number two most deserving Best Picture winner of all time will be Silence of the Lambs from 1991. I think this was a game-changer in, you know, the sense of what makes the Best Picture, um, especially for the genre being in there, you know, we're used to having these, you know, either historical dramas or these melodramas, these, you know, gravitas kind of films. And this one for me really sticks out as, you know, going against the grain, something really different. So I was, you know, surprised that it was in there, but so happy that it did win. And I think it's so deserving. Yeah, the fact that it's not just like a regular uh, costume, period piece biopic, where this legitimately you believe that it was the best movie of the year. It's such a taut thriller where every moment makes sense and leads into the next moment and was so meticulously crafted. Mm -hmm. Uh, My number three film is The Bridge on the River Kwai. I love this movie. It's, you know, it's got so many moving parts. You've got, I think, about like three or four different storylines all happening concurrently from inside the POW camp to outside when they're trying to figure out how to disrupt the Japanese forces. And then this end giant battle sequence and Alec Guinness's performance. There's just so many different things going on to it. And it's a huge juggling act. And you don't think it's going to stick the landing for everything and it absolutely does and and by the end you know there's this big monumental moment where the bridge in question uh it gets blown up and there's an incident and you simultaneously both feel happy and sad at the same time and and that's a that's a tough act to actually commit and pull off it's also a bit of a fun watch too so you know it's okay. it's a fun watch in the sense of like uh, the the never give up yeah. uh, like if you need some inspirational material you know there there's a bit of a, a tough goes at the beginning with the abuse sequences in the POW camp but it's the that human strength of we can overcome anything mm-hmm. that that's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. All right, next on my list I have Amadeus from 1984. This movie blew me away. Um, surprisingly with its length I, I can't believe i actually sat through something of that long um because it tends not to be my favorite thing but i think you know the costumes the script the production the acting the music the direction it was all there for me and it all worked so well that i continually think about it and want to revisit it i just don't know 
when I'm going to have the time to sit down and watch it again. Yeah, that was a movie I had seen before, and and I I was kind of taken aback by how much you fell for it. Mm-hmm. There, you know, specifically, I think there's a real moment late in the film when he's composing in his deathbed to Salieri. Oh, that scene is amazing. Which I think is like the real hook of like, yeah, yeah. this is an enjoyable movie to this is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Start with the voices. Basses first. Second beat of the first time. Me- time. Common time. Second beat of the first measure. On A. Second measure. Second beat. Maledictus. You see? Yes, yes, G-sharp. Of course. Yes. Second beat of the third measure. On E. Fami sacribus addictis. Rest. Maledictus. Fami sacribus addictis. Do you have me? I think so. Show me. Just you could almost see like notes and bars like coming from his brain mm-hmm. in front of you as Salieri is like writing it all down and just his acknowledgement of how amazing Mozart is and how he will never, you know, match up to it. So his realization and grappling with that as well as Mozart dying in his deathbed and still being this like amazing genius. I don't know. It was filmed so amazing. Mm hmm. My number four film is The Godfather. Uh, I love this Francis Ford Coppola movie. I originally used to think that The Godfather Part Two is better. And then when I was rewatching them in such a short period of time for this, I realized that I actually do prefer Godfather Part One. Although I will say Robert De Niro's performance in Part Two is probably the best performance out of all of them. But that is set aside. I like just how self-contained this story is, especially young Al Pacino is just one of the greatest actors ever. His, you know, naivety and and rise to becoming the godfather himself is just so well done and so well shot and framed and fantastic supporting performances from just about every Italian-American actor that was popular at the time. Just everything about this, I think, is just so fantastic. And I know it's a bit of a cliche pick, but it it really does belong in the conversation for some of the best films ever made. Mm, I'm going to have some more comments about this one later. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to continue on. Um, My next pick is In the Heat of the Night from 1967. I think it's a super um, important subject matter. And the way it's handled and done for that time, I think, is really well done. Um, And it's got some amazing strong scenes that really stick out as memorable and strong performances. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some really interesting stuff going on with that. It's not my favorite one, but there's definitely a lot going on that I do appreciate and like my number five film coming to the end of this section is no country for old men, the Coen brothers film. I've always loved this since the very first time I seen it. And, you know, just every subsequent rewatch, so much character detail is layered into the story when they don't have to say it. You understand exactly who these people are just by quietly watching them go about their business. And you understand later when they have actions that that associates with their character traits that were revealed much earlier on. This is the type of movie that maybe requires a couple viewings, like most of the Coen Brothers films probably, <laughs> to really get everything that they're trying to do here. And the more you watch it, the more you realize just how densely packed and structured this film is. And it's probably got one of the best villains of all time in Anton Chigurh. Yeah, I mean, great film. So happy that this is also on your list because it's one I wanted to pick, but then some... It was just beat out a couple times. So, so super happy it's there. 
Okay, my last best picture, most deserving pick would be Spotlight from 2015. I remember we talked about this just recently on our last best picture podcast, but um, the on, upon first watch, I thought it was just okay. But then rewatching it a second time, it really blew me away on the um, just the way it's shot and every meaningful scene and the performances, everything's there. And there's just the subtleties that make up this film and hit it out of the park for me. So I'll, I remember at the time being like, really spotlight one, but uh, it's actually most deserving for me on my most deserving list. Well, there you go. So those are our most deserving best picture winners. Next up, we are going to do our least deserving. So the ones that's a little bit more fun to, to make fun of a little bit. Um, mine is, I guess I'll, I guess I, the way I wrote this down was least deserving. I'm going to start with my, uh, number five and then work my way down to my number one. Um, so my number five is, uh, crash, which is the Paul Haggis film. And this is, you know, just such a hot mess where they're trying so hard to be poignant about racism and sexism and hate in the world. And in the end, just everything about it just miss. It's so, hackneyed and over the top and you just it's just a real struggle and slog to get through there's almost no redeeming qualities to this maybe matt dylan's performance but even then yeah my redeeming performance would be don Cheadle in this and that's about it this movie is a car crash like Uh, (laughs) sorry didn't mean to do that but yeah it's uh it was on my list as well it wasn't my number five but it's also on my list so um, definitely agree here. And yeah, it's, it feels like the end product, um, is giving you a, it, like it's going against what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels. Like it feels very contradictory to its point and to its purpose. So that's totally agree. It's also on my list. Did you want to go to yours or should I just continue? Yeah. On? Uh, you know, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. What, what, what position on your list did it come in? Um, I mean, yeah. Was it just one? Did you not rank these? These are just your your five. Yeah, there's my five. I didn't particularly rank them in any order. Okay. Then yeah, I'll, I'll move on. My my number four would be Driving Miss Daisy. I don't make empty accusations. I have proof. What proof? This. I found this hidden in the garbage pail under some coffee grounds. You mean he stole a can of salmon? Well, here it is. Oh, I knew. I knew there was something funny. They all take things, you know. So I counted. You counted? Well, the silverware first, and then the linen dinner napkins, and then I went into the pantry. And the first thing that caught my eye was a hole behind the lima beans. And I knew right away. There were only eight cans of salmon. I had nine, three for a dollar on sale. Very clever. Which is basically the 1980s version of Green Book with the roles slightly mm-hmm. reversed. Uh, this this movie, once again, has no redeeming qualities. It's, you know, dealing with racism in the South where you have a, a white woman and a black man who is her driver. And, you know, there's this one scene in particular where they get pulled over and, you know she gives the cops an earful and they're just like, Oh boy, you were lucky. And it's like, 
Um, I'm pretty sure I've read news articles of when this time period took place. This is not how this interaction ended. In fact, I probably read this story last week, and this is not how that interaction ended. Yeah, this movie is also on my list. We have a lot of overlap for this category, but I mean, for this movie, woof. Yeah. It's terrible. Like, the pacing's off. The t- Like, I, you never understand what year it is or how much time has passed, and it's, it's, it's bad. Yeah, and I then don't understand it. weirdly, like, Dan Aykroyd being super comedic throughout the whole thing, and they're trying to keep a somewhat serious tone while being still somewhat lighthearted. Like, it has real tonal inconsistencies the whole way through. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number three is How Green Was My Valley? This is a movie that I don't. I don't understand why more people don't like it. I'll often talk about really not liking this John Ford film. I'm often met with responses like, oh, I love that movie. Oh, I grew up on it. So good. No, this movie is terrible. (laughs) About like this group of Welsh miners and this family and the the eldest daughter. Like I've basically blocked out my memory. I watched it several years ago, so I'm not, it's not super fresh in my mind, but like, wasn't the story about like this woman, this daughter was like in love with someone and then, uh, something ended up happening and she's just like, oh, well, I'll just move on, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to... This was also on my, like, considered list. It didn't quite make my final five. But yeah, I just I just found it long and unnecessary and... And super annoying little kid in it. I know that's your favorite is annoying little kids <laughs> I movies. I probably... You know, I don't even remember the little kid, so I most definitely blocked it out. This movie is god-awful. This is the movie that actually beat Citizen Kane for Best Picture. So this is the one time that I will invoke that. <laughs> well, I think I need to rewatch Citizen Kane. So I'm not going to support it because I remember not liking it upon first watch. So I'll just pass. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So finally, one we didn't uh, cross on, although almost did. Um, I'll go to my next one, which is Oliver from 1968. Again, talking about little kids and annoyances. Yes, I am. I've come a long way. I've been walking for seven days. Uh, been running away from the beak, have you? The what? Now, don't say you don't know what a beak is with a flashlight. It's a bird's mouth, isn't it? My eyes, how green can you get? For your information, a beak's a magistrate. Who are you running away from, then? You old man? No, I'm an orphan. I've come to London to make my fortune. This movie just was so blah to me. The only thing I liked about it was the artful Dodger and the performance that that uh, child actor um, had. I, I feel like he didn't really do much afterwards, though. I remember looking into it, and he, there wasn't much to his, um, not discography, what's it? Filmography. Filmography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different podcast. Um, yeah, it was just like, okay. And I don't understand why it's a popular one and why it even won really. It was a pretty bloated film. If my memory serves my recollection, you know, none of the kid actors were all that good. Uh, Fagin, I believe is the, the older gentleman who looks after them. He wasn't very good. And I don't know, like this story, it was just like, really? Cause like at the end he gets, isn't he like adopted by someone who actually is his family or something? I don't even remember. I don't remember, but like basically like, it came at this really weird time where new Hollywood was starting to take over, but the old Vanguard was still kind of controlling things. So that like tonally really doesn't make sense. Like I wish I can, I can quickly bring up who it beat out for best picture that year. But I remember like looking back and like the movies that we think of that it beat out were like 
movies that are now considered classics from that era. And whereas this is just like so out of place, it needed to have been made maybe 30 years earlier. It just, it just does not work. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next movie, my number four film uh, is one called Cimarron. This is one that I know not a lot of people probably know. It came out in 1931, uh, so it was really early in our in our podcast series where we talked about it. And my memory is a little bit phasey, but it does contain several instances of blackface and a whole bunch of misogyny. And I think that's just about all you can go. I remember there's a couple best picture winners early on where uh, Andreas and I talking about the show. It was just like, oh, and there's blackface in this one. Another one, which, you know, is a real great look for Hollywood to be awarding that. But, uh, you know, it does have one small redeeming quality. There's a really good, well shot uh, kind of a battle sequences with a whor- whole bunch of horses riding into battle. Looks really cool. That's about it. Uh, really terrible. I don't, I vaguely don't even remember the plot. I know like it's about a man who's a newspaper guy and uh, something about moving to Oklahoma and involves with a preacher or some shit like that. And then like him and his wife, their stories basically like s- separate they don't separate their stories separate and they're both kind of like on their complete own movies for the entire time. And then they like reconnect at the end. And it's like, none of this made sense anyways, like garbage film, garbage film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't remember too much about this. This was way back. One of the first ones we watched. And, um, I just remember like Western scenes and, you know, uh, the usual stuff you get from that time where women, you know, have to be cared for because they're going to be, raped shortly in the film or whatever it may be. And I was just like, okay, I'm over this. <laughs> Do you, uh, what's your next film on your list then? Okay. My next film would have to be, um, the hurt locker. I'll probably get a lot of hurt from that, but, uh, from 2009 and I just found it. We talked about this one recently also. I just found it kind of boring and uh, repetitive and didn't do anything for me. And not even the performances, uh, did anything for me as well. It just felt kind of blah, felt also like overly masculine in a weird way that it was so unnecessary, but yeah, I don't think it deserved to win. All right. That's interesting. I would, I would definitely put more middle of the pack for me. I would not put it that low because I thought it had some interesting cinematography going on, but, uh, yeah, you really weren't a fan of that. No. All right. My, uh, number one, Number five, however, however I was doing this, my the worst <laughs> best picture winner of all time is a movie called The Greatest Show on Earth, uh, directed by Cecil B. DeMille, and it stars Charlton Heston, who basically uh, works for a traveling circus, and he kind of is like the manager, and he basically just yell acts his entire way through. He's only got like one tone level the entire way, whether it's you know, him trying to herd some animals or uh, him trying to find a killer, which is something that actually happens in this film, uh, or him trying to woo a woman. It's just all yelling all the time. He is a terrible actor in most things he does, unless he's very specifically suited for it, like Planet of, uh, Planet of the Apes. Jimmy Stewart's in this movie, and he really did not like this script once he was cast. He plays a clown. You don't see him out of his clown face makeup the yeah. entire movie because he refused to be shot Without the makeup. That's yeah. how bad this movie was. You know it's was. bad when. Remind that. Just take off. And see if the menagerie... Take it easy. Doc, maybe you can keep them quiet. I give up. You did a great job, Buttons. A great job. 
Thank you, Doc. It's my last. Looks like you ran into a little trouble. If I were in the junk business, I might make you an offer. Vultures even follow train wrecks. Braden, you're all washed up. We'll give a show. Without an audience? But, like, nothing in this movie made sense. It was just, like, one scene to another of Charlton Heston yelling, and it was basically, like, a giant commercial for Ringling, Ringling Brothers, Barnum & Bailey, who I yeah. believe actually were, like, producers on this Yeah, film. I think they were, too. So this one is also on my list, um, my t- five top five worst uh, winners or undeserving winners. Um, yeah, long, super, super long. Uh, boring, super, super boring. Uh, nothing happens of great interest. There's like a train crash. There's a few things. Oh, yeah, that hilarious train crash. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. And like, was Heston the one who was like basically in Indiana Jones? Yeah, yeah, yeah prototype yeah. for that, yeah. Yeah, like to the hat and the whip, down yeah. to it. Uh, yeah, just like not the greatest show on earth at all. No, pass. Yeah, it, it was, it was, oh my God, it was so bad. Like, I think it's one of those movies where you could probably enjoy laughing at it the whole time. There's a couple of these movies that we talked about. Like, I wouldn't want to put on Driving Miss Daisy just for, for a lark, but Greatest Show on Earth, if I was with maybe some friends maybe. and we were drinking, <laughs> totally, it would probably be a good hate watch. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but it is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Not deserving a best picture at all. Yeah. So there we go. Those are our most and least deserving Best Picture winners. Now we're going to shorten up the categories a little bit as far as how many we're going to name. We're going to go through some more fun categories. So the next one is the top three oddest Best Picture winners. So these are ones that might still be good, but not necessarily what you expect a Best Picture winner to be. Watching, for me, in my case, 90 films, and in Stephanie's case, 82, you definitely sort of see some trends of what's a little more predictable. But then there's a couple that really stand out that don't really fit the mold. Uh, And my first one, in no particular order, is Tom Jones, which was this sort of crazy mix of comedy, like screwball comedy, uh, real spoof. It's got some song and dance to it. Like none of it really made a ton of sense to it. Albert Finney's in it. He's a sort of Lothario character. Um, I wasn't very high on it, but it's definitely probably one of the weirder movies I've ever seen because tonally from scene to scene, you'd never know what you're going to get from this thing. Mm, This is one that I miss. So I don't know much about it. Um, Just remembering like from the things that you've talked about. What was your first one on your oddest list? So one of my oddest, uh, and my list is actually quite odd, but I'll just go for it. I have the King's Speech from 2010. This I have on here because, I mean, the uh, I really enjoyed the chemistry and the performances between um, the main actors, Jeffrey Rush and Colin Firth. Colin Firth. I thought that was fantastic. But also the film just itself was so, like, okay. There was nothing super amazing about it. It wasn't a grand production. It wasn't particularly historical in the sense of um, like costume and and set pieces, anything like that. Um, And the story while uplifting and encouraging was just, again, like an okay story. So this is why I find it odd that it won for best picture, considering that um, I feel like there was some better ones that year, but that's just my thought. Yeah, I I hear you. I think it ends up being a bit of a, or a trite biopic by the end of it. But Mm -hmm. the first, you know, two thirds of it are very interesting, but yeah, it is a little bit different. 
my next one is The Shape of Water. So this is the first sort of sci-fi genre film to win. It's a monster movie, which you don't expect. There's only a couple ones where bad guys are even, you know, prominent sto- parts of the story. And this, you know, you've got this really weird, not, I don't want to say psychedelic, but like this, like, radioactive 1950s world that Guillermo del Toro just like completely turns on its head where the monster isn't the real monster. Humans are the real monsters and it becomes this beautiful fairy tale. That's very dark and very adult, but this is not the type of film that normally wins best picture. I know it was pretty surprising when it did win that year. And I think it still kind of stands up as being one of the more odd ones to win because it really doesn't fit in. There's been, not even a ton of nominees that would fit anything close to this. Um, and who knows if Guillermo del Toro will even get another, you know, best picture potential winner in his lifetime because he is such an interesting and odd director. Yeah. I feel like potentially maybe who knows, but this was definitely a surprising win. I totally agree with you that it's a, it's an odd choice. I'm super happy that it did win upon second watch because I remember the first time again, this seems to be a current trend with me where I have very strong feelings against a film, but then upon second watch, you know, a little bit later, I tend to understand it and enjoy it a lot more, which is what happened with The Shape of Water. So I am glad that it won, and I'm I'm happy that it was something different because after 92 films, they all tend to start getting very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your next one? So next on my list, so this is this category is might still be good, but not what you expect from a Best Picture winner. I'm going to go and head and say that this movie was not good, which is why I think it's an odd choice for Best Picture winner. Uh, the 1958 film Gigi um, just like felt pure fluff to me and was a weird subject matter. And, you know, it's about this man falling in love with this girl who then he's mad when she grows up and is like more of a lady and less of a like infantile which is just weird and gross and you got the story of thank heaven for little girls thank heaven for little girls the only good thing that came out of this movie is what jerry um oh, i forget his name now who played lumiere from beauty and the beast mm. based off his lumiere jerry orbach orbach thank you based off his um his, his voice, voice acting off of uh, that. Was it Louis actor. Jordan? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who, I, who I just watched in a James Bond film. He was an octopusy as, as the bad guy in that. Each time I see a little girl of five or six or seven, I can't resist a joyous urge to smile and say thank heaven. For little girls, for little girls get bigger every day. Thank heaven. For little girls, they grow up in the most delightful way. Uh, yeah, there, there was definitely an odd one. There's only been a couple musicals to win, and it's definitely a bit of an interesting one. My last odd Best Picture winner is Rocky. There's no other sports movies that have won Best Picture. This is one of the ones that I really didn't care for. Sylvester Stallone isn't a great actor. I don't really like his relationship story with Adrian. Uh, the training montage, maybe it's just because I've seen it parodied a million times. I just can't get into it. But it's just like, this is such a, a small scale story and the story is so 
fits in a city block, which can be fine, but it just didn't really work for me. It doesn't really read best picture winner for me. You know, this heartwarming, uplifting, overcoming adversity sort of nonsense. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not the the type of person that believes in that sort of crap. Um, I am not a Rocky fan either. I think it is an odd win. You are forgetting about Million Dollar Baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. Another boxing Very movie. Very similar movie, actually, yeah, if you want to yeah, think about it. Yeah. Uh, in similar in idea, I, I think guess. I think the difference is Rocky being supposed supposed to be such an uplifting film, yeah. whereas Million Dollar Baby is more of the traditional <laughs> dramatic type. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, different endings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would have to agree with you with Rocky. It was, it's a, it's an odd winner. Mm-hmm. So um, what is your last one? My last one, uh, is out of Africa from 1985. This movie, I understand it had some like good cinematography and you know, you've got, um, Meryl Streep who is always, you know, Oscar bait, but it was just, again, for me, like a nothing movie. The pacing was off. Um, I didn't think the, writing was particularly good or exciting and uh it was just such a blah movie okay yeah i i this is one i i I didn't really have strong feelings for or against i think i was just kind of eh, about it but yeah i hear you so our next category is the top three best picture winners carried by a single attribute. So this is where we're looking at a movie where there's maybe one thing in specific, whether it was, you know, the sets or the acting or the music or whatever, that really carried the movie to a best picture win. So this one's going to probably be a little bit more of hot takes from us. But uh, for me, my first one is Gladiator. I'm not a big fan of Russell Crowe's acting. I don't think that's what led this movie to win. What I do think made it win was the impressive scale in production design. They really do a great job of of recreating old Rome with all the different battles and, you know, the Colosseum fights and all that sort of stuff. They do such a great job with that. And I think that really carried the film to its best picture win. Totally agree. This was also like... Um, one that I considered to have on this list. Um, my first pick is actually in the same line as Gladiator. So I went with Ben-Hur from 1959. I think just the like grand scheme of that movie. And um, also the the chariot scene still holds up today, I feel. So I think it's it's quite impressive. But um, other than that, that's like what the, the thing I remembered the most about Ben-Hur and this People may disagree, but I think that's like a main reason why it is held up to be so high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that chariot sequence probably definitely carried it on to the win for sure. Mm-hmm. My next one is sort of similar to what you were saying, and that's Gone with the Wind. And for me, I think the aspect is the cinematography, especially the burning of Atlanta sequence. And there's this terrific crane shot where they show all the wounded soldiers lying on the ground outside the hospital that's overflowing. There are some gorgeous shots in that. I'm really not a big fan of this movie overall, but uh, the cinematography and probably along with the costumes are the reason why this movie ended up winning. Yeah. I was going to say, touch on that and argue with the, the costumes being super amazing in this as well. And also just Clark Gable. Sorry. I have to put, put him in there. I think he's great mm-hmm. and fantastic. And he was, um, this movie was the introduction to Clark Gable for me. And I thank you so much. Okay. So my next pick is probably going to be a little controversial. Um, I picked the sound of music from 1969. I think that the music, uh, in this film is what makes it, so great. Um, 
it, Sound of Music isn't my favorite, but it is one that I enjoy to watch every once in a while. But I feel like the music is the main reason why I go back and want to watch it and listen to it and sing along with it. And there's nothing else in particular that draws me to the story. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's such a beloved musical that I think that's what really carried voters to that. Mm-hmm. My next one is An American in Paris, which is the 1951 Gene Kelly movie. Uh, and I think the reason why this movie ended up winning was uh, was because of the, the dance sequence at the end. I, I sort of compare it a little bit to Singing in the Rain, where I'm not much of a fan of that. I am a fan of American in Paris, American in Paris. But there's this fantastic uh, dance sequence at the very end that's a, a dream where every all the sort of set pieces are these flat drawn, looks like they're drawn with, with either pencil crayons or, or charcoal or things like that. And it's very beautiful. And it takes about half an hour and we really kind of get to feel where the this Gene Kelly character is is truly at in his life and then when it ends and we get to see what he does with it but I think that's what uh, what really carried that to the win because the rest of the movie while it's very good isn't as great as that dance sequence here i love this movie i think it's so amazing um and that last end sequence is so long and it's so crazy amazing that yeah i have to agree it definitely is what brings that film up so the last on my list um i don't consider this a good movie uh 1988's rain man i feel like dustin hoffman's performance is really what garners all the attention for this film nothing else in this movie is of particular note in my opinion. And I'm not saying that his performance was even that great. I think it's just what the draw is for this movie in particular and the reason why it won. Mm, Interesting. And there you have it. Those are the best pictures carried by a single attribute. Moving on to our next category is our top three best picture winners. More people should talk about. So more forgotten winners for me, it happens to be movies that are a little bit older, although I'm sure there's probably some people that probably don't know some of the later films that came about. But uh, the first one I want to talk about is one called All the King's Men. It was remade in like 2006 with Sean Penn, and it was one of the worst reviewed movies of the year. But the original film about this politician who comes in with all the ideals to sort of fix the system and ends up becoming just as corrupt uh, is such a powerful allegorical film and something that you can still see today in, in the way we look at politicians, especially American politicians. I can't help but love it. It's it's like a crime film. It's an intrigue, thriller, mystery, with lots of greatness, huge, big cast. And it's one that I almost never see pop up on lists of best best picture winners. And it's one that I think people should definitely check out if they haven't seen it because it still holds up today. This is also another one that I haven't seen myself, so I have no comment on. But with your high praise, maybe I'll have to go back and watch it. Maybe. Okay. So I'm going to go all the way back to the OG, the first winner, uh, Wings, silent film. So amazing. It blew me away. This was the, our first introduction to this whole, you know, best picture concept when, and watching them all. And it had me hook, line, and sink, sinker. I thought the story was great. I thought that the film, like this, 
the filming of it was amazing. There was some really cool, you know, dream, dream sequences and stuff that was going on. I loved the story and where it, where it went with it. It was just amazing. And I think because of, you know, I mean, it is the first uh, best picture winner. So maybe it does get talked about, but I feel like not a lot of people have seen it. And I think it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, it's so good. There's some really interesting shots in it. They they do a lot that you don't expect from a movie from from 1927 uh, to really be doing, and and it's a lot of fun. It's a great little love story with some really cool action sequences thrown in there as well. Mm-hmm. My next one is one called "You Can't Take It With You," which is from 1938. It's directed by Frank Capra, and it falls in between "It Happened One Night," which came out in 1934, and "It's a Wonderful Life" from 1946, and it's basically forgotten in that. And it's kind of similar, very stylistically, to "It's a Wonderful Life," uh, as far as this idea of good and evil, and you know, the rich trying to control things. Um, Frank Capra had such a, a great eye for satirizing the rich and powerful and it's one that also stars jimmy stewart in not quite the same role that he would play in it's a wonderful life but sort of similar enough where you can really believe it it's this uh really unique love story about uh this man who comes from a very rich family who wants to marry this woman who isn't rich and his family is trying to disown him and the title of the story is you can't take it with you meaning when you die you can't take your money with you so you might as well live on earth and help people and try to be the best person that you can be and i think it has a fantastic message and really resonates and so if you're a fan of uh those other frank capra movies and jimmy stewart films in general especially his like uplifting happy ones you really should check this one out this is another one that i've missed but i remember when you first watched it and you talking about it and how much you loved it And it was one that piqued my interest and that I just never went back to. Next on my list is The Lost Weekend from 1945. Um, I think this is a fantastic film. It follows a four-day drinking binge from an alcoholic man. And just the events that take place and the emotions and the different, the range that that comes from the performance is really amazing. And it was quite an interesting watch for such a subject matter that you think might not bring a lot or you might think oh a four-day drinking binge it's going to be like i don't know crazy like crazy fun but this was crazy bad yeah yeah i this is my last pick as well it is so good this would probably also be in consideration for best picture winners carried by a single attribute the ray milan performance in this is just so magnetic you get to see what sort of depths of depravity that this man will go to to get a drink it, you know, has its its sad, tragic moments, but it also kind of has its horror elements as well. He's at, spending the, a night in a hospital or something like that, a sanatorium. And that's when, um, uh, I, I can't remember the, the exact term of it, but that's when the bugs come out. And they are, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they're shown literally coming out and crawling across the walls. Uh, so like when you get the shakes and stuff like that. So he really does a great job portraying an alcoholic going through withdrawal. It is, it's one that I know not a lot of people really know about. It's definitely probably one of the darker films to win Best Picture, too. Uh, but it's one that, that I really love. Yeah, it was amazing. So that was your last one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so my last pick for Forgotten Winners, I think this is a lot of people's favorites, so maybe it's not really forgotten, but I think it needs to be talked about more. It's all about Eve from 1950. Um, I think just such a, a strong film full of strong female actresses. This is actually the only film in Oscar history to receive four female acting nominations to win the best 
actress to win the best supporting. Unfortunately, none of the four won, but I think it goes to show like how important this film is for female actresses and also just what it means to be in the film industry and how, how it, life is for female actresses and, you know, coming to terms with aging and having like a young ingenue come in to take your place. It's, it's a great performance by both, um, Ann Baxter and Bet- Betty Davis. Uh, Eve. Good evening, Mr. DeWitt. I had no idea you two knew each other. This must be at long last our formal introduction. Until now, we've only met in passing. That's how you met me, in passing. Yeah. Eve, this is an old friend of Mr. DeWitt's mother, Miss Caswell, Miss Harrington. Miss Caswell, how do you do? Addison, I've been wanting you to meet Eve for the longest time. It could only have been your natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it. You've heard of her great interest in the theater. We have that in common. Then you two must have a long talk. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. You won't bore him, honey. You won't even get a chance to talk. So it's definitely one on my like most recommended. It's probably the movie that has like the single most greatest performances. Like everyone is so, so good, good in this movie. Yeah. All right, so our next category is top three best picture winners that are overrated. Not necessarily bad, but maybe not deserving of the title. Uh, My first one, so this is probably going to be the hottest of hot takes from us. Uh, My first one is Titanic. Fantastic visual effects for its time. Great that James Cameron built a boat. Great that there's some cool underwater sequences, but oh my god, the plot is lacking, and why is it so long? I feel like I was on that boat wanting to drown myself, too. Oh my gosh, this is a hot take. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I never really was a fan of Titanic when I was younger. I never enjoyed re-watching it. It's so long, and you know, it's got a couple cool sequences, but you know, a couple cool sequences does not equal the best picture win. Wow. Well, I disagree. I mean, part of it is nostalgia, but uh, also just the music in it, I think, is so great. And I have to respectfully disagree. I wish my heart didn't go on. (laughs) Okay. Number one on my most overrated Best Picture winners would be Forrest Gump from 1994. This, talk about boring. Uh, I find this movie to be boring, but also just because it's so unbelievable and unrelatable. Like, I just... It doesn't make sense to me that all these things in history would take place with this one man being connected in all of them. Um, I don't think the acting is very good in this. I don't like the writing. It's long-winded. I think probably the best scene is where they're talking about the different ways you can cook and eat shrimp. (laughs) And that's about all. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it. Bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's that's about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Like, Tom Hanks, we love you. The uh, best. Yeah, of course. Who doesn't? But He's probably your, one of your favorite actors, mm-hmm. if not your favorite actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, oh, oh, t- such, a, such a bad movie. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. All right, my next overrated film is Shakespeare in Love. 
love the costumes. I enjoy the whimsy of it. I enjoyed Jane, Dame Judi Dench showing up for five minutes and walking away with an Oscar <laughs> for some reason. Um, and as a theater nerd, I, I quite enjoy all the little fun little touches that they throw in there. But, you know, it's just a fun little silly romantic film and not best picture. Sorry, Gwyneth. This is one that is interesting, and I kind of agree with you to some point. I love Ben Affleck in this film. I love Jeffrey Rush in this film. I wish they had committed more to making Gwyneth Paltrow look more like a man. Oh, that mustache. Because that really is just, and that wig. Like, it's all just trash. <laughs> that wig, yeah, that's the It's, it's just the terrible. Wig. And she doesn't even, like, change her voice, really. So I was like, really? Okay. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you in some point, in some parts there. Interesting, you have back-to-back non-deserved like winners. Yeah, 97 and 98. Yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Okay, here is my hot take, which everyone's going to hate. Drum roll, please. The Godfather and Godfather Part 2. I found both to be boring. Oh. Sorry, I know you talked about how much you loved it, and I know everyone, like everybody loves The Godfather, but I don't. I, I can't even tell you why. It's just, I just don't enjoy it. It's just, it's like... It was like when I was watching The Irishman, I was like, this just feels like a bad Godfather knockoff. Because also hot take, I didn't like The Irishman. Well, neither did I. The movie was terrible. So I was just like, Ugh. like I've seen it. It's been done. I don't like it. It's I love Marlon Brando. Love him. Not necessarily in this movie, but just like him himself as an actor. But yeah, I was just like, why is this so popular? I don't know. Didn't do anything for me. Sorry. <laughs> Hate mail could be sent to Dakota <sighs> yeah, I, for having yeah. me on this podcast. You know what? Send me the hate mail for that, and I will <laughs> read it on the air, and I'll get her live reactions to it. Uh, my last overrated film is The Artist. <gasps> I'm, yeah, I'm paying the shot. Yes, I know. You love that movie. Um, yeah, there's just this plot is just so paper thin for me. I do, I do love the old Hollywood love and appreciation and touches that they include, and the dancing is fun, and uh, DeJorian and Biggio were adorable, but like this movie could be 15 minutes long. Like, there's, there's almost nothing to it, and it does not deserve to be a best picture winner. I love the introduction to sound uh, nightmare sequence that they have. Great job with that. But other than that, oof, not not a lot that I would say is best picture worthy. Yeah, I know you don't like this one. And this it's is... not a bad movie. It's just not best picture worthy. <laughs> I loved it. I love silent films. So to have a modern day silent film that wasn't like modern day plot, but um, was really fun for me. And agree, like the the way they do introduce and use sound into it is is truly amazing. Um, I do think it's best picture winner. I mean, they're, the performances are definitely hammy when I'm like upon second watch, but. I still liked it. I still love it. Um, yeah, I, I have to disagree with you on that one as well. Oh, fine. What's your last one? So my last overrated best picture winner would be Chariots of Fire from 1981. I remember going into this one. I was excited because, you know, everyone seems to talk about Chariots of Fire and oh, how great it is. And then you got the music, the like, you know, running on the beach and blah, blah, blah. And I'm watching it, and about halfway through, I'm like, so when does something happen? So when does this get good? Spoiler alert, nothing happens. Yeah, it was just like, it was. I was just like, why am I watching all these, like, dudes just, like, being duty? I don't know. It was It was just okay. It's funny. I'm not like I think a, I was let down. That's why a super popular user on Letterboxd or anything like that. But uh, my review of, of Chariots of Fire is my most liked review on there. Where uh, my quote is: 
this movie commits the cardinal sin of movie making, and that is don't be boring. Yeah, and it is that's what it is. I mean, maybe I'm not hearing from the movie world enough about like, is it a loved one? I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's probably maybe closer to the forgotten. Like mm-hmm. other every once in a while it'll get brought up as being a best picture winner, but I don't think it gets it doesn't seem to get talked about both as you know, a deserving winner or an undeserving winner. It's just like, oh yeah, that movie, that one best picture about the guys running on the beach. So maybe I'm, you know, off, off the mark here for overrated, but just, I remember feeling let down and like, it was supposed to be so much better than what it was when I watched it. So maybe that's why I have this feeling of it being overrated. Owing to the absence of any other challenger, Mr. Abrahams will run alone. College, if you please, sir. Lindsay. I raced beside my friend here. We challenged in the name of Repton, Eaton, and Keith. <laughs> I didn't know you ran, nor are you. Some chap told me about this shindig over breakfast. I thought I'd come and push you along a bit. What? Delighted. Splendid. Good luck. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Those are our picks for all of our fun little categories. I decided that I want to post a poll on Reddit. And it was just asking three simple questions. How many Best Picture winners have you seen? What are the two to three most deserving winners? And what are the two to three least deserving winners? Sort of similar to what we were going Mm -hmm, through with this. mm -hmm. I ended up getting 69 responses with it almost being split equally for seeing more than half of the films and less than half. Do you want to know what the responses were? Yeah, I'm very interested. All right. So for the 33 people who had seen less than half the Best Picture winners, Parasite topped them all with 12 wins, followed by Moonlight with nine, The Godfather Part One, and No Country for Old Men with seven, and six votes each for Casablanca, Schindler's List, and Birdman. I'm glad that Casablanca gets a mention in this podcast because I wanted to put it on so many of my categories. It probably would be my number six most deserving. It's so good. For the worst picks, Green Book won by a lot with 17, followed by Crash with 12 votes. Then a very distant run of Shakespeare in Love with five and three votes each for The Greatest Show on Earth, The Artist, The King's Speech, and Driving Miss Daisy. It isn't especially surprising that some of the best and worst films from this group of voters happen to be recent winners with Parasite and Green Book winning the last two years. I think if we definitely had included the uh, Parasite and Green Book, that they also would have ended up on our lists, respectively, for most deserving and least deserving. Maybe not most deserving for Parasite for you, because I know you have some hot takes on that one. But I, I know we both did not enjoy Green Book. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Spoiler alert. People have to wait three years to hear my thoughts on Parasite now. <laughs> Perhaps they'll forget by then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would actually, you know, maybe consider it for uh, oddest winners, because it really sort mm. of sticks out as being different from everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the fact that it's not in English. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, so for the 36 people who had seen more than half of the Best Picture winners, The Godfather Part 1 led the way with 16 votes, followed by Parasite and Silence of the Lambs with 8, and Schindler's List with 7. Five movies ended up with six votes apiece, two with Moonlight, The Godfather Part 2, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Lawrence of Arabia, and All About Eve. All really good picks there. Yeah, I One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was also one that I was considering. I just, I would love to go back and rewatch it because I feel like there are parts of this that I don't remember a lot on. So I'm glad it also got a mention. <laughs> and as far as the movies they least liked was a top five of Crash with 16 votes, Green Book close behind with 14, The Greatest Show on Earth, Cimarron and Driving Miss Daisy rounding out the worst. So these really sort of yeah, mirror our picks. They do. And I think it's funny because it looks like all of these ones 
are also ones that were included included in the ones who had seen less than half, mm-hmm. um, excluding Cimarron. Just uh, Crash and Green Book swapping places. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Altogether, there was a bit more consensus of the top half of viewers' portion, if only by a little. 25 movies got a top vote, while 34 got a bottom vote. Compared to the voters who had seen less than half of the films, gave 31 movies a top vote and 37 a bottom vote. So I know I'm just throwing out a lot of numbers there, but yeah, a little bit more consensus with the people that had seen more of the films versus the people who had seen less of them. Interesting. You'd think with more films to choose from, there would be less consistency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit surprised about those numbers yeah. too. I would expect it to be a uh, swept swapped as well. Yeah. Looking at the combined overall list, 39 movies got a top vote, 50 got a bottom vote and 14 movies actually got a vote for best and worst. The two most divisive films were Birdman, which had eight best and two worst votes and the Lord of the Rings, the return of the King got seven best and two worst as well. Other movies that ended up on this list included The Shape of Water, The Hurt Locker, Braveheart, Dances with Wolves, and Spotlight, all of whom ended up with more negative than positive scores. Wow. And weirdly enough, one person said Moonlight was the worst movie, despite it having the third most best vote combined. Wow, hot take from that person. Yeah, I wish I kind of took some some usernames because I want to call this person out. <laughs> you want to take some names down? Yeah. Uh, and then shout out to uh, Reddit user Always Sunny Drag Race, who owned 91 of the Best Picture winners on, on DVD and Blu-ray, just not Parasite yet. He is waiting for the Criterion Edition coming out later this year. Good move. Yeah, but he uh, he posted a picture of his collection, his little shelf collection. It's really cool. Impressive. And yeah. I had That's a, so cool. Yeah, I, I, I originally thought about doing that because I owned probably about 10 to 12 of them for a little bit, and I wanted to, and then I just, you know, was like, oh, that's so much work. <laughs> also, a lot of space eventually mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah, yeah, 90 movies is a lot. Uh, I also posted a similar question on Twitter and uh, and friend of the show, Callum McNabb from the Scare Traducing podcast uh, left me this message and he said, the Silence of the Lambs and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest are favorites of ours to win. Pretty safe answers to be fair. Controversial take. Braveheart isn't all that great. <laughs> and Netflix's recent Outlaw King was better. So much better. Not many fellow Scots would agree with that. And so it's interesting. I responded to him where I'm like, I agree. Braveheart isn't all that great. And I do love Outlaw King. I guess I'm not welcome in Scotland. <laughs> and then uh, another friend of the show, first round flick, said Parasite is up there for best. Very nice. So yeah, there yeah. we have it. Uh, I want to thank everyone who took part in the survey and provided the answers that they did. It was a great help. I, uh, I wasn't too sure what the, re- the turnout would be. And I think I left the survey up for maybe three days and just it exploded with responses. It took me a long time to kind of parse through the data and figure out what was worthwhile and what was not. I had a lot of fun doing that. So thank you to everyone doing that. And Stephanie, thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom too. Oh my God. I wouldn't call it wisdom, but thank you. So thank you for sharing all your hot takes. Yes. So remember if you don't like the fact that she called the godfather part one and part two overrated please let me know what you think of that uh preferably in a five-star itunes review and i will read it out on a future show Mm -hmm. guess what i won't care (laughs) i want to thank eric and kevin smale for the theme music and uh this person over here for the logo design (laughs) thank you to aesthetic magazine for presenting the show follow the show on instagram twitter and facebook at contrazoom pod please visit contrazoompod.com for all your czp needs and bookmark it as i will be adding lots of cool content to it over time please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and send me a screenshot to contrazoompod at gmail.com and i'll add you to a list to mail you some free swag 
when they are available. And if you have any picks for best and worst best picture winners, also send me an email with that. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.